You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Inspired to Act, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine. Inspired to Act is presented by PrimeMed, your leader in continuing medical education. Here is your host, founding chair, Department of Neurology, Brigham and Women's Hospital, professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, and senior medical advisor for PrimeMed, Dr. Martin A. Samuels. How does one successfully craft a medical career as a pioneer in practice as well as research? Joining us to discuss her lifelong experiences in the operating room as well as the research laboratory is Director of Pediatric Surgical Laboratories and Chief Emerita of Pediatric Surgical Services at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Patricia Donahoe. Welcome, Pat, and thanks for joining me in the studio today. Thank you for having me. I really would like to talk to you a little bit about your life and how you got to where you are, and more than about your research, your current research, and what you're thinking about for the future. But tell us a little bit about how you got going in surgery. Did you run into any problems as a woman going into surgery when we, when you were in medical school and going into residency? Well, I got started in surgery serendipitously and circuitously by first having a career in actually physical education. And it was the medically related courses that really drew me to medicine. And actually, I was wrestling with whether to go into mathematics or, or go into medicine, but I'm sort of a people person, so. How many women were there in your medical school class? I was at Columbia, which was more ahead of the game at that time, and they always had 10% women in their class. It's true, wasn't it, that of the women that were in medical school, a lot of people went into medicine, into pediatrics, into OB. There weren't too many people going into surgery and surgical disciplines like urology or orthopedics. Isn't that true? They were zero, I would say, at the time that I did. There were a few people in general surgery that may have preceded me by a, a decade. So how did you do it? I mean, did you have a role model, or did you just say... I'm going to do this. I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, the road to surgery for me happened through research. When I went to Columbia as a first-year medical student, began doing research and uh, with cardiac surgery, we had a wonderful time, you know, creating defects, studying them with ultrasound, and repairing defects and cardiac defects, and. From that point forward, I spent the rest of my medical school career trying to find something other than surgery that I love to do, and there's nothing quite that captured me as much as surgery did, and my husband said, you got to do what you love to do, and so I applied for surgical residencies at that time and, and was very fortunate enough to get into, as the first woman to finish a residency program in Boston uh, at the New England Medical Center. So I did five years of general surgery there. What kind of things would happen to you? Oh, everybody thought I was crazy. The hard thing was getting people to accept that you were serious about what I was doing. And so uh, I think the only way around that is to just do your job and do it well and try to do it without complaining. And that was a formula because in those days, it was very difficult to because it was the nursing staff that were the ones that were, were the slowest to accept women residents. They just weren't used to working with women in surgery. That was the most difficult transition. My fellow residents accepted me because I did the job. I did what I was supposed to do, and I wasn't, you know, nobody had to back me up. And so they accepted me, and then finally the staff 
uh, the attending staff accepted me, but every place I went, it was like being a fish in a, you know, in a glass bowl. And that was the, the difficult part of it. I was very struck by this interest that you had in uh, athletics because you were pre-Title IX, uh, right? So it wasn't so easy for a young woman to participate in certainly competitive athletics in high school, junior high school. And yet you got very interested in this, ended up teaching physical education. Has that had any effect on your developing self-confidence and working with teams? How do you see its relationship to your career? I think it's had an amazing effect because there's a discipline you learn in athletics that is required to perform well. And there's a give and take that's required for a team to perform well. So that's had an enormous influence on, you know, how I work in the operating room, how I work with my colleagues and other disciplines, and how I work with my own teams of residents and nurses and, and my own partners. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Martin Samuels, and joining me to discuss the intersection of practice and research is Director of Pediatric Surgical Research Laboratories and Chief Emerita of Pediatric Surgical Services at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Patricia Donahoe. Pat, I would like to turn a little bit to your research. You said that research is what really got you going in surgery, and that's sort of backwards from what I am used to. Most of my friends who went into surgery went into surgery because they liked to do things, and it was only later that they got interested in research. Tell us a little bit about this journey from research into surgery, how that happened. Well, the research that I was doing in medical school was very much hands-on technical surgery, and we were medical students working on these research projects were very carefully led by the cardiac surgeons at Columbia at that time. And it was through that experience that I realized that I love the technical aspects of surgery. It strikes me as a little unusual for a person who was interested in research mainly to pick surgery as opposed to some aspect of medicine just because of the demands of the operating room. Well, I was also very much influenced by uh, my fellowship with Judah Folkman during the time after I'd finished general surgery, and I had really understood at that time that I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. And because I loved working with kids, I loved the technical challenge of it, and and also the science underlying pediatric surgery is developmental biology. And developmental biology was just intriguing to me. But while I was working in England doing newborn surgery, I learned about malarian inhibiting substance, which is a growth inhibitor. And virtually nothing had been done in the, you know, in the scientific arena about growth inhibitors, or nothing was known about them. And so From the time we first started our laboratory, we equated growth inhibitors in the fetus to potential therapeutics for tumors, thinking that the same, many of the same mechanisms would be extant in a rapidly growing tumor as in a rapidly growing embryo. And so we always tied the developmental biology to potential cancer applications for these growth inhibitors that we were studying. And in a way, that's certainly come to pass, hasn't it? That is, the growth inhibitor field has taken off dramatically in in cancer care. And unfortunately, Judah Folkman, who you mentioned, didn't live to really realize the full credit that he probably deserved in uh, stimulating this field. Do you agree with that? I agree very deeply. I think he, but one of his great gifts and one of the great satisfactions he had 
in life was to inspire other people to do research and to carry on what he's done. So he's essentially fathered an entire field. So what do you think the role of stem cell biology is going to be? Where do you think this is going now? Well, I have a particular interest in stem cells because they are the normal cells, the somatic cells that are important for regeneration of every organ, every tissue in the body. And they're particularly important during embryonic development and during the development of the fetus. And we have equated cancer stem cells and somatic stem cells and feel that whatever we learn about somatic stem cells will be translatable to cancer stem cells. So from that standpoint, I think there will be an extraordinarily important therapeutic arm of stem cell research in cancer. Well, you know, I'm sure you know many of the people listening, most of the people listening to us right now are doctors and other healthcare professionals, but they may not be knowledgeable in depth about stem cell biology. I wonder if you could give them some idea of when you think this is going to be translated in some realistic way into some kind of a a therapy or a diagnostic test, and in what areas do you think it's likely to become useful? Cancer may be its earliest application because one of the things we've been working on most recently is to understand the difference between a cancer stem cell and a somatic stem cell, and then understanding the difference between the stem cell of the cancer and the non-stem cell of the cancer. And things that we've been learning even in the last few months that our chemotherapeutic agents are stimulating stem cells. And some of our growth inhibitors, like my very favorite malarian inhibiting substance and TGF betas, are actually inhibiting stem cells. So I think in the treatment of any cancer in the future, we're going to have to separate out the stem cells from the non-stem cells in an individual and design their therapy around what the therapeutic agents and the biologics to which the stem cells respond and to which the non-stem cells respond. And I think that's going to be one of the earliest applications of, of, or at least understanding stem cells in cancer. As I mentioned to you, a lot of people listening to you, doctors of all stripes and some non-physician medical types listening in, there's a lot of pessimism out there. That's, that was the reason I started this show, you know, to, to give people a feeling of optimism that's really there, and you're certainly a great example of that. But what would you advise to, to a young person thinking about going into medicine or a young uh, medical student now? What do you think the future is? Is it positive or negative or what? Oh, I think it's very positive. I wouldn't trade a day of the things that, you know, that we've been able to do during a, a wonderful career. And I would say the mixture of research and practice is extremely important because you're not long into practice before you hit a wall and a number of diseases or in a number of patients that you're treating. And if you have the opportunity to go back to the bench and study these disease processes or these mechanisms, then you have this great satisfaction of uh, not only being able to take care of patients, but when you reach the wall, when you've become frustrated in what you can do for your patient, you have the ability to go back to the laboratory and, and study or try to bring some positive advancement to, a, to an area that would otherwise every day frustrate you. What would you say to people who are, really don't have that option? I mean, you and I are lucky that way. We're in an environment that uh, encourages that. What if you are, you're a person out there somewhere in the world? I mean, we're, we're, people are listening to us not just from North America but from all over the world, working very hard to take care of patients, 
can they actually do that as well, do you think? Do, do research, think about changing things? In medicine, you have the ability to do that every day. You have the ability to measure how you took care of patient A compared to patient B, and you have the ability during your entire lifetime to improve the way you deliver patient care. And we also have the ability to, to analyze how we're delivering that care and seeing whether in the context of modern-day life we're, we're really making an impact. And if we're not, you know, changing our practice mode so that we can. So that's a nice broad definition of research, which almost anybody with curiosity and a little discipline can actually do. So it's a wonderful vision, Pat, and it's wonderful of you to come and spend this time with us in the studio today. wish we had longer to talk. Maybe we'll have you come back on the program and talk about other, other subjects in the future. I want to thank my guest, Director of Pediatric Surgical Research Laboratories and Chief Emerita of Pediatric Surgical Services at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Patricia Donahoe. Thanks very much for spending time with us this week on Inspired to Act. Thank you, Dr. Samuels. It was a pleasure to be here. You have been listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine, hosted by Dr. Martin A. Samuels and presented by PrimeMed, the leader in continuing medical education. At PrimeMed, we believe in you, the practicing healthcare professional, and we support your commitment to your patients. Our goal is to give you the tools to stay up to date with the latest developments in your field, whether you treat day-to-day patients and their average and not-so-average illnesses, or patients dealing with diverse chronic conditions. PrimeMed CME programs are designed for you. We know you each learn differently. That's why we offer education in a variety of formats live because you like to interact with peers and faculty, online because it's convenient and available to fit your schedule, and in print because of its portability. Regardless of the medium, PrimeMed delivers knowledge that touches patients. PrimeMed CME is developed through extensive collaboration with leading professional associations, academic institutions, hospitals, technology companies, and over 1,500 prominent faculty. With over 120 live meetings and 300-plus online CME activities, 350,000 healthcare professionals globally trust PrimeMed as their source to stay better informed and educated in today's always-on world. We invite you to join us in person at an innovative, cutting-edge meeting and clinical education program. If it's more convenient, visit PrimeMed online. For more information, visit www.pri-med.com. That's www.primed.com. Thank you for learning with PrimeMed.